remembering that God always blesses his word. Hear his word as it is found in 1 Timothy, the third chapter, beginning to read at the 14th verse. I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these instructions to you so that I, if I am delayed, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and bulwark of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of our religion. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Amen and amen. Seventy million persons, seventy million persons, that is the estimated number of people who either yesterday or today will be gathered in places like this on this weekend to worship God. Seventy million people. Now, that's a lot of people. And you would think that that number of people working together under the same God to whom they have praised his name from whom all blessings flow and have asked him to help them, to lead them in the paths of righteousness and that his kingdom on earth may be like that in heaven. You would think that 70 million people who had prayed prayers like that would be able to do much to erase the evil, the racism, the false prejudice, the poverty, the unemployment, and all the other evils that are on the face of the earth. Yet no matter how much good is done this week by 70 million worshipers, still not as much will be accomplished as could be accomplished if all of us had brought the right things to our respective worship services. Yes. The reason God does not do more in this world is not because of God, but because we who come to church don't bring the right things sometimes. Worship is work, and don't anybody ever tell you it is not. Worship was never created just to give you something to do between specific hours on a Saturday or a Sunday. Worship was not created just to give a preacher a platform or a choir a captured audience. Worship was never created to give somebody the status of an observer. 
Worship was created so that people could express their feelings to God and so that God could speak to people. It's important, you see, what we bring to church. If we're ever allowed to allow worship to be effective. And William Temple has said that worship demands the best of all of our faculties. And by that I assume him to mean that when we come to worship, one thing we ought to bring is a searching mind that is able to discern the word of God. Our Lord never expected anybody to check his brains in the coat room of the church. When we assemble here for worship, and even before worship, as we meditate, and as you have done so beautifully in these past few weeks, in silence, asking by the power of your brain for God to indwell within you and speak to you, not only in that time of preparation, but through this worship service or any worship service that follows. God has a message for you today. Yes. I don't know what that message is, though I may be the messenger. Or maybe somebody else is the messenger, but God has a message for you today. And one way that God gets his message across is the same way you and I communicate with each other through words. The writer of John's Gospel has hit this Greek concept right on the head when he said, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus Christ is the Word made flesh. And God still speaks to his people by the power of his Holy Spirit through words. In my study, when I try to compose these things that the world calls sermons, the prayer that I pray before entering into work on those sermons is simply this, Lord, let me know the word you want me to say to your people. I've prayed that prayer for years. And that is the prayer in which these things that I preach are prepared. And I earnestly believe by the power and the mystery of preaching that God blesses his word. And it may not be the word that you hear from the pulpit. It might be the word that you hear from the musicians, the words of the anthem, the words of the hymns, the words of the prayer. But God is speaking to you and to me today one way by word. And the scary and spooky thing to me is that sometimes I don't even know that word that he is speaking to you through me and not even conscious of it. That's the mystery, you see. This past week I've been in West Virginia at a pastor's conference. I've been asking for a word from the Lord. And Thursday morning, a man who I only met this week 
said something that I'm sure if I would ask him to repeat it today, he wouldn't even know what I was talking about. But he said something which I interpreted as God's word to me. He didn't know it. But I knew it. And I know as I'm standing here today, some of you who have minds that are keen enough to discern the word of God, he is saying something to you in a personal message through the words of either myself, the choir, the hymn book, or the prayers. And when you don't come to church with your mind open, how frustrated God is and how empty we leave. You see, suppose God is pouring out these messages. How frustrated he must get when we don't listen. Have, have you ever tried to talk to somebody to give him or her a word and they won't listen? In this great church where we are privileged to worship, we have a rather sophisticated intercommunication system. Some of you know about it, some of you do not. But part of it is that we have telephones right here in this sanctuary where the organist, the radio operator, we in the lectern, we can be in instant communication. It's sort of like the spare tire in your automobile. You, you have it there in case of emergency. We don't use it too often, but if you ever see me standing over there singing that first hymn and suddenly drop out of sight, I haven't fainted. I'm down using the telephone. Several weeks ago, the lighting arrangement wasn't quite as what I thought it should be. And as soon as we came in, I got on that telephone, but the problem was nobody would answer it. <laughs> it's very frustrating being up here trying to get a message across. And I kept dialing and dialing and dialing and more frustrated and more anxious because I couldn't get the word out. Now, I don't want any of you deacons to feel guilty or <laughs> lax. I found out later that most of the time I was dialing my own office over in the administration building. <laughs> but it's very difficult when words cannot be discerned by quick and eager minds. And I think God is worried about many problems, but one of them is there are my people down there calling on my name, asking for guidance. For goodness sake, listen and open your minds because I speak with words. Bring the best of your mind and also bring an open imagination. An open imagination that can also see the will of God. Because you see, God speaks not only through words, but he speaks through pictures. The Bible calls them visions or prophecies. I call them a wild imagination. And once in a while I pray that God will bless our vivid imaginations because God speaks to us through pictures. Through pictures. He will sit and send down to us in our minds, if we have open imagination, things for us to do, plans that we have. 
plans that he wants us to fulfill. The story is true. But I don't know if it happened in church or whether or not just reading the Bible, but a man who used to work for an oil company was involved in studying the second chapter of Exodus. And he came to that third verse where it said, The mother of Moses made a basket of bulrushes, and she dabbed it with bitumen and pitch. Now, he didn't hear another word. For immediately his imagination began to work. And he thought if there was pitch back in Egypt in 1300 B.C., it meant it would still be there. And if there were pitch present, there would also be oil. And he got to thinking and he eventually went to the board of directors of his company and talked them into sending a geologist over to Egypt. And an individual by the name of George Whitshot was sent by the company. He was a geologist, an oil expert. He began to dig. And ladies and gentlemen, that is how the Standard Oil Company got into digging for oil in Egypt. And that's true. Be surprised what God does when people are sitting in church by working through your imagination. Back at the turn of the century, there was an $18 a week shoe clerk working in Boston. He'd only gone through eight grades of school and had to quit. One day he was invited by a friend to go to a preaching mission. There was nothing very impressive about this young chap except his weight. He weighed more than 200 pounds, his features were coarse, his nose was broad, and he was rather ugly looking. But that night he heard the English preacher, William Farley, say, and I quote, The world yet waits to see what God can do with a man or a woman who will completely dedicate his or her life to Jesus Christ. And that young, ugly, $18 a week Boston shoe clerk bowed his head and imagined himself being that dedicated person and he asked God to bless his decision to become one of his people. With only that eight grades of education, that man eventually preached to presidents, sat at the foot of kings and at the skirts of queens. And the world has known one of the greatest evangelists of this century, Dwight L. Moody. All because of what happened in his imagination while he was in a church service. It used to bother me when I see some of you fall asleep and nodding like that 18th person back there in the 17th row. Oh, it's on this side. Doesn't bother me much anymore. Oh, yeah, I see a look at your watch. That doesn't bother me. When you begin to shake them, though, I worry. And I don't much anymore. Because I never know what God is doing in your imaginations. And when you bring an open imagination to the worship service, God blesses. And right this very moment, some of you are getting ideas through your imaginations that may not see results for months, days, years. 
But God will work through your imagination if it's open enough in worship. We come to worship to tune our conscience. And you've got to bring your conscience, no matter how out of tune, to the worship service of God. You see, these conscience, they're very complicated. They are easily controlled far more than you and I would like to believe. They're constantly getting out of tune. And sometimes it's strange of what we think actually is a conscience when it's not a conscience at all. It's a device within us that God has placed there. The Bible calls it the still small voice. It's the great stabilizer and equalizer and it's supposed to be able to tell us right from wrong but oh how we like to play with our conscience and how they get out of tune. I read the other day about a man over in New York State he wrote to the State Internal Revenue Service, he said that 10 years before he had cheated on his income tax and he hadn't been able to sleep ever since or get a good night's sleep. So he wrote this letter confessing his fault, enclosed $25 and said, enclosed you will find $25. If I still can't sleep, I'll send you the balance. <laughs> And he thought that he was obeying his conscience. God wants to work through your and my conscience, but the conscience works, ladies and gentlemen, only when it's in tune with the law of God. F.W. Richardson was right when he said that just as a timepiece is valuable only as it reads according to the laws of the sun. So also, your conscience can be depended upon only as it is based upon the standards of the laws of God. And what better place can your conscience be tuned than in church? Some of you play stringed instruments, I know that. And you know from first-hand information that if the music is to be played proficiently and in tune and in any sort of perfection, it requires you constantly to be turning those pegs, tightening or loosening the strings so that there is perfect pitch. We live in a very complex, pluralistic society, and it's very easy in these days to get out of tune and we need people bringing their conscience regularly to worship, asking under the guidance of God's Holy Spirit and according to his word to ask for these conscience to be tuned. Now sometimes, as you violinists know, you've got to work hard to stretch that string. And sometimes that hurts the string. If it had a personality, you'd hear it yell, ouch. I'm sorry, sometimes your strings have to be tightened and your conscience will hurt right here in a worship service. Sometimes, because of our prejudice, though, we have to slacken the tightness of some principle that you think you conscientiously must stand for. But it's based on tradition or personal likes or dislikes instead upon the word and the love of God through Jesus Christ. And you know, sitting right here in church, you've got to let up a little bit.
if you're really going to be a servant of Jesus. A group of children were asked, what is conscience? One answered it this way, another, another one. I like the little girl who said, conscience is God whispering in my ear. And where else can God whisper in your ear better than within the worshiping community? Another thing that you can bring to church is a will that isn't afraid to surrender. In church worship, ladies and gentlemen, we're all supposed to be surrenderers. We're supposed to give up. And that's the wonderful thing that you can do in church. You can give up without giving out. Where else can you have an opportunity to bow your head and tell God how sorry you are for the things you've done and said? Where else can you ask God for forgiveness? Where else can you come and bow down and say, Oh Lord, you are the potter, I am the clay. You are the master, I am the leader. You are the father, I am the child. You are the creator, I am the creation. You are the master, I am the slave. Wills that are submissive to the will of God. Wills that are able to say, and where else can you say it better but in worship, O Lord, not my, but thy will be done. And then, yes, I think also we've got to bring what I call an exciting faith that is able to live even with the mysteries of God. That's what you've got to bring to church. And boy, as I travel around, so many churches don't have it because the people don't have it. An exciting faith. An exciting faith that is able to live with the mysteries of God. You know, some people leave church very unhappy. I hope there are not too many of them here, but I know a lot of people that leave church worse off than when they came. They had done much better staying home in bed than that. You heard me. That sounds crazy for a preacher, but if church is too hard on you, forget it, because it means that though God's there, you have forgotten to bring something. And sometimes people forget to bring an exciting faith. And a lot of people go home church angry. Sometimes it's because of what the preacher said. Sometimes it's because of the ill-timed and the way some fellow Christian approached you or what he said or she said to you. Sometimes they're dissatisfied with the service, but most of the time when they go home unhappy, it means they haven't found an exciting faith that is able to live with the mystery of God. Some people go home disappointed because they had a particular question and it wasn't answered. I'm sorry, people. God doesn't tell us all of his secrets. God doesn't always take us into consultation when he's going to do something. God very, very seldom tells us every aspect of the plan that God does tell us to have faith in him, what he is doing. And though we may not like that particular chapter, he has us to tell He tells us to have faith that the whole book hasn't been written and that God is working for the good in all things.
which even means a worship service you may not like. How does Jesus put it? Love God with all of your mind, which includes the imagination. All of your heart. And I think that's where the conscience lives. And with all of your spirit, which involves your will and your faith. And if you do that, you love God and you serve him. So be careful. Be careful what you bring to church. Amen and amen. Father, all of us here are included in that 70 million who are in worship and now must go out and be your work persons to make this world a better place. You've spoken to our hearts, our minds, our imaginations, our conscience. Father, we give you our will. And even though we fully do not understand in faith, we give you our belief that you are doing exciting things, even though they are mysterious, mysterious to us. Father, you didn't waste your time in coming here today. Help us not waste your time as we go out to your world. And now may the grace, mercy, and peace of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be and abide with you wherever you go, being God's person through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.